Colleague Box is a Derby-based gifting service that offers customizable, personalized gifts. Delivering nationwide, the gift boxes are ideal for companies to send to colleagues, prospects, suppliers, or clients, or for individuals to send to friends or family. Choose from our collection, or we can create a bespoke box based on your budget, brand, colors, and logos. Colleague Box, connect with colleagues wherever they are. Welcome on to, to talk to Harvard to me, Lewis King. How are you at the at the minute? Yeah, all right, mate. Just um, obviously everyone's in the same boat, really, aren't they? Lockdown and working if you can and whatnot. So watching as many games of football as you can, aren't you? On telly games every day. I think my missus fed up with it now, but um, us football lads don't mind it. Watching a couple of games a night. But what is life for you at the minute? What's work? Are you still in the game full time, or are you just part time now? Yeah, so working, work for the family business, um, security firm in Derby, um, and then uh, still play part-time. Uh, so I play for Stafford Rangers at the minute. Um, a lot of Derby people will kind of know that as a similar, le- same level as Michelob Sports. So um, I was obviously at, at sports for, for three years um, uh, in, I think it was 16 to 19 or 17 to 20, something like that. So, and then I've done a couple of years at Stafford Rangers, but obviously... Um, with the lockdown, both the last two seasons I've been there have both been curtailed and kind of null and voided because of the, the coronavirus. So um, still trying, still still trying to pl- play and kind of trying to enjoy it and stuff. It gets harder as you get older, definitely. Is it difficult as a as a non-league footballer at the minute? Obviously, it's all stop-start, like you say, to, to get it. Are you able to train or carry on or are you just waiting to, to get back now? Yeah, just, I mean... Since um, our last competitive fixture was actually November the 3rd. Um, and then um, when the lockdown eased at the start of December, we did go back in training and played a couple of friendlies, thinking that that was going to be the start of the season again, um, kind of over the Christmas period. And then obviously with the restrictions that came back at the end of December, it got completely, like I say, null and voided. We were doing kind of like Zoom exercise sessions a couple of times a week. We had like a bit of a running program to keep up with and stuff as much as we could. Um, but apart from that, and I've not, I think I've forgotten how to kick a ball. To be honest, I mean, I've not, I've not caught a, I'm not caught a ball since I think the last time we were actually in at Stafford was like the 19th of December or something like that. So it was like literally like over two months ago. So um, it'll be interesting when I get the gloves back on to see uh, <laughs> to see how much I've lost it. <laughs> but like I say, everyone's really in the same boat at the minute. Goalkeeper's a bit harder because it's a bit more technical and obviously your hand-eye coordination you need to get that back and stuff like that. So I can imagine my first few sessions being quite um, quite kind of slow and boring as such, just trying to get the basics back. Is there nothing you can do at home? Not throw, I don't know, throw a ball against the wall or something, isn't it? Like, yeah. Away, like, <laughs> watching your hand work. Yeah, I've tried to I've tried to incorporate a bit of like ball against the wall stuff like if I've been doing like some core exercises and stuff like that but you you just can't really replicate it as such a, on your own like kicking against the wall when you when it comes back off the wall a lot of pace comes out of the ball and stuff like that. It's, unless you can get like a, your hands on like a little tramp 
trampoline things that they do and mm. training training equipment that you can get your hands on um yeah you're struggling really and that's obviously the life of a non-league footballer <laughs> <laughs> so take us right back to the start then we always do that on on this podcast and obviously derby lad got into derby academy but where did it first start football wise for you so um it was at chesapeake which i think at the time a lot Chesapeake were, were quite, quite a good team at the time. Um, a lot of kind of Derby lads did get picked up from there. But I was actually playing um, a year above my age because I was only seven. And there at the time, there wasn't an under eights. It kind of all started at under nines. Whereas obviously in today's world, it does start at kind of under six, under sevens, under eights kind of. You have that. But I had to actually, I was playing for um, one of my dad's, my dad's mate was manager of, the, of Chesapeake under nines at the time. So I was playing left back for them. And um and like I say, one 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 game, one day, uh, the goalkeeper didn't turn up, and it was kind of like ill on the gloves, and um, I I almost kind of just put my hand forward, thinking I'm no good at left back, really, <laughs> and I wasn't. I was very I was very average. My dad used to shout abuse at me off the touchline and stuff like that, and I just thought I wasn't really doing up to much at left back anyway. So um, I thought, yeah, I'll, like I'll do it, kind of thing. So. I went in um, and I did all right, to be fair, the first first couple of games. And then like after that, when I started kind of training as well, because obviously the first time I went in goal was just a game. There wasn't really much training going on. But then when I started like training on top of that as well, I kind of got into it a bit more and started enjoying it. And then within like kind of three to four weeks, I, I found myself kind of, I, I remember my first time going in with Derby. Um, for somebody had come down to one of the games and said, oh, like, what's his situation and whatnot. And um, it was actually at Benrose School, the training session. It was like a summer camp. It was it was during, like, the, the school holidays. Um, and I remember going there and it was Eric McManus was the goalkeeper coach. And the only other goalkeeper I can remember there from the time was actually Ross Atkins. So, um, and like I say, I was only seven. I'd not done much goalkeeping myself. So to be like kind of flung into kind of a, a like a full-time environment in terms of like, say, a, a, with a pro club, it was it was just all a bit of a whirlwind at the time. Um, and then kind of you do your four to six week trial period, which is pretty standard. I think even now it's pretty standard. Um, and, and, and I got signed. And like I say, that was really within kind of a couple of month period, I'd gone from being this dead average left back who like kind of, didn't really, it was just a bit of fun kind of. And then, like I say, you sign for, for Derby County, who's obviously your boyhood team, and then you get all the training gear and it just starts becoming real. And then obviously all your mates at school are getting on board and like, yeah, it was a, it was a real good, it was a good time. It was it was great memories. I always say, if I ever tell a story about my football career, the, the one thing, even though where I'm at now, nobody can ever take away the memories of what you've created. Like I say, I've, I mean, I... I I did a podcast last week on Instagram Live and um, it, I actually didn't think about how long I've been goalkeeper until I sat down there and I'm 20 years. Do you know what I mean? It's a long, it's, it's a long time. It's like 70, over 70% of my life that I've been doing it for. So, um, but yeah, no one can take the memories away from you. And it, it was a really enjoyable time. Natural goalkeeper then? Do you think you or um I think, I think goalkeepers have got a natural kind of screw loose. Like, so I kind of wasn't scared of the, but like a lot of kids, I think going into it at kind of a younger age, you, you're either kind of scared of the ball or you're not, you, you've got the kids who don't want to get it in the face and the kids who don't mind getting it in the face. So I think I was natural in terms of that. I wasn't bothered about getting hit with the ball, about putting my head where it hurts, getting, do you know what I mean? But I think technically probably I wasn't so much a natural in, in the technical mm -hmm. sense. And that's what 
kind of throughout the academy years, I really worked on my game and I, I would, I can't ever remember missing. I'd, I'd miss out on family holidays. I'd, I'd hate to go away during the season. I'd hate to miss football for any reason. So I really was 100% dedicated to everything I did. And I think I got to a stage where people thought, oh, he's like tech naturally gifted. But it wasn't. It was from pure hard work just throughout the years of just kind of repetition, repetition, repetition and just working and the good thing about the academy system is that you do get to work with a lot of different coaches and they, they'll teach you little different things and kind of to add to your game and some that you'll get on with, some you might not get on with. And, and that's kind of the, the academy journey, really. We've had um, Campion three times, soon to be four times, a bit of a friend of the podcast. And when he was telling us about when he got picked up and he, well, he didn't, basically he just started going training like, off his own back and he even admits that he wasn't the best and he had to work hard at it. So that's where academies and a good academy and a good coach can really like the look of that can really make you career can't it a hundred percent I mean um like kind of the the youth coaches and and also obviously I think the academy has changed a lot back when I was in it you you'd, you'd get like say you'd get the goalkeeper coaches who would do your kind of a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday or something like that and then you'd go in and work with your team and even the outfield coaches to an extent would would give you little tips and advice and then you'd kind of go back to your goalkeeper coach and you'd talk about it and discuss it and there was a lot of kind of discussion open discussion about what kind of obviously the coaches wanted when you joined up with the team but also what the goalkeeper coaches wanted to see if they came to watch you kind of on a Sunday morning um, but yeah I mean Derby the academy went from strength to strength when I was there. Like I say, I, I my first session I ended up training at Benrose. We did we did set, we played our games at Rolls on the Rolls Royce pitches on a Sunday morning. Um, we'd have the odd session down at Ram Marina on Rainsway. Um, we was up. I think my under nine season we was up at Four Mark Hall in Repton. That's where we used to play our games. So we did a lot of kind of travelling around. But then obviously when More Farm got built and it was kind of I still remember going to the presentation evening at Pride Park for when More Farm was getting kind of all planned and it had all been passed and it was getting built and it was this really big thing that kind of elevated Derby to kind of the next level to have a training complex like your Man United's and your Arsenal's, when you used to go down to them kind of teams, you used to be kind of blown away by what they had. And I think Moore Farm was a real step for Derby where they kind of caught up with with the elite teams. You often hear it when um, I've spoke to like, loads of ex-players on here and they all, they often say like they come to Derby for the first time, see Pride Park, see Moore Farm, and it's a massive attraction to them to go, right, well, this club is set up to go and be a big Premier League club. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's gone from, like I say, it's gone from strength to strength. I mean, people. I mean, I I was lucky enough when I played on the baseball ground a few times. What when the baseball ground was still standing when they'd already moved into Pride Park, the, the academy would play the odd game on there on a Sunday morning and stuff. And it was really like that was the club back then. That was kind of the life and soul of the club. And then obviously, a lot of fans now, the younger generation, they're not even. Of baseball grounds been built on and houses and everything like that so I really got to feel kind of that aspect of the club kind of the old the baseball ground side of it and then also like I say the, the transition into the modern the Pride Park Stadium the like I say more farm was state-of-the-art when it got built and I think all the, I've not been there for, for a good few years now but from what I hear it's it's keep taking the steps and keep building I think they've got like a, an underwater treadmill in the pool but pool area and they've got obviously the college on site well when I was in college with the academy we'd have to go down to Loughborough College to go and do the college course and stuff like that so it's always changing and revolutionising and kind of um, evolving in that sense Who was 
who was in your teams growing up then? Anyone who went on to, to make it big? Um, to be honest, we had a really good team and it, and it surprises me actually that the, the only person really um, who went on, well, the only person who went on out of my team to play for the first team was Callum Ball. Um, okay. Yeah, so striker Callum Ball. Um, and then there's, there's, to be honest, it's, it's, it's sad thinking about that there actually isn't many that are, it's not even just in the programme, but not many people playing at all anymore because it. I think what people forget with football is like, say, when you talk about 20 years of doing something, I mean, people along the way pick up injuries, they lose the love for the game, their life gets in the way, kind of if they, I don't know, meet, meet a partner, move away from home, it's not as accessible and things like that. Football changes and um, I've still got... Um, a teammate now at Stafford who I, who I introduced to Stafford, um, Aaron Cole, he used to be at Derby um, yeah, in yeah. the same, same team as me. Um, and, and throughout the years, kind of when I was, at, when I went on to move on to Sunderland, he was, he was at Derby in the reserves and he moved to Stockport. And then I was looking for a low move and then he got me into Stockport. So it's like, we're, and we're still like, say 20 years later, we're almost like best friends. So football can be unbelievable for relationships and friendships and everything like that. But it's a really tough game to kind of stay in love with. And it, when you, when you like say reach heights of that down to kind of the non-league level and it, and it's hard to stay in love with. The same um, happened to Callum, Callum Ball really broke into Derby's team. Then he scored a couple of goals in Underclough. And then last time I saw, I think he was playing for a side in Leicester non-league. So it's... yeah, so I I played um, I played against him actually for Micklover in the I think it was the FA Cup. Um, it was a team called Anstey Nomads. Um, but again, I think he's I think he's moved on from there. But he really struggled. I think being away from home, like I think he moved up to Saint Mirren and and he was obviously I think he went to Coventry as well and then to Saint Mirren and and he struggled a bit with that aspect of being away from home and then he kind of lost his way a bit and then he came back. But I just. I just like seeing people that are still in the game trying to give a bit back. I mean, I played at Mickleover with um, with Pablo Mills for three years and it, it was actually one of the best experiences because Pab's knowledge of the game um, and the way he does stuff on the pitch, it's just, it, it kind of brings you back to playing with them, that stature of players. And and um, a lot of people would have said, I think he scored about, I think from centre-half, he scored 17 goals What the season that I was at Mickleover. And um, it was just, his experience and his, his knowledge and his nous of knowing where to be and reading the game and stuff. So I always like seeing like kind of ex pros filter down into non league because there have there's still a lot to give from players like like Pabs and kind of hopefully myself and stuff like that. Is it difficult though if you've been full time and then you've got to like like you do now family business and then like training Tuesday Thursday with work and playing twice a week maybe and is it difficult to still be committed sometimes? Yeah, I mean. I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. I think they they kind of. I'm lucky in the sense that I do work for a family business. If I've got an away game and I need to leave work at kind of half half one two o'clock, it's it's kind of okay. But I mean, if you worked in a normal job or like if you were stacking shelves at Tesco or or working for New Look or anything like that in in retail, then you'd really struggle to kind of find a manager or some a person in your job that would allow you to to kind of do that so a lot of people find themselves r- rushing about leaving themselves short and then I think a lot of people will probably go is is it worth rushing about for do you know what I mean I mean obviously speed and stuff can be dangerous when you have to get to training at a certain time or matches at a certain time and and then you've got obviously is the is the money enough to be able to 
is it worth doing it still? Because there has to be an aspect of it. it like I say, we, we still do get paid at non-league level. It's it's not a lot of money, but it's it, you can earn a good... I've always been taught you can earn a good living having a full-time job and playing part-time football. Um, but like I say, some some people almost think it's not... If, if it gets to less than £100 a week, then it's not really worth it because with all the travelling and fuel and time and stuff, is it worth it? So I think that's where people struggle to stay in love with the game and kind of involved in the game. So going to to make it when you were at Derby, so you're in the academy. Do you go to 16 and get a get a scholarship? Because you left around that time, didn't you? But I think you signed a scholarship before you went, didn't you? Yeah. So um, I actually got offered my scholarship um, when I was 14. I got offered a pre scholar, um, and Kev Thilwell was there, and I was really enjoying it. Um, I had some really good academy managers um, and and like I say, Derby were kind of going from strength to strength. So I obviously, I, I came in when John Peacock was was academy manager um, and then he he left shortly after. I think he went on to a job with England and then Terry, that was when Terry Wesley came in. Um, and again, it, it was really kind of ran professionally and they, they did the transition to more farm and then Kev Thilwell come in and obviously Terry Wesley was a big, big boots to fill, but Kev came in and he was a breath of fresh air. He was really, really good with everybody. Um, really personable you could go and talk to him about anything and as an academy manager like that's that was a big a big role at kind of in enjoying your football and 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 it, the style that they wanted to play was kind of it suited me they wanted you to express yourself and and I was a little young cheeky chap local lad and they kind of they, they liked my personality and um so I actually when I was 14 yeah I don't know if um if my mum would have been happy or the school would have been happy of getting offered a pre-scholar at 14 because kind of I was kind of thinking oh I can relax at school now and stuff like that so chilling probably, uh, yeah it probably educationally wasn't the best thing for me to, for, to happen to me but I still had to get grades which they obviously made made clear and and stuff like that and Bill Morley did a lot of work as well on the educational side with with players and stuff like because during your scholarship, you had to, I think your GCSEs, you had to get a C or above in maths and English to make sure you didn't have to do any extra courses at college and stuff like that. So it was important in that in that sense as well. So um so yeah, so then I started my I started my scholarship at like I say left school at 16 and started my scholarship. And it it almost didn't meet my expectations. I, I really thought my game and that I was going to kick on and and really improve as a goalkeeper and kind of go to that next level but I think I don't know if I expected too much or if it just wasn't what I was expecting but um, I mean Derby didn't have a full-time academy goalkeeper coach there for example so we'd be doing a lot of sessions where we'd either be joining in with the outfield players I think I was like my pre-season when I first went in I was like I was beating out I was like running beating outfield players and stuff which is all great and the academy manager was John Perkins at the time he um, he was like I've never seen a goalkeeper run like this but at the end of the day I'm not the goalkeepers are not there to be running. I didn't, it, do you know what I mean? It was a bit of a laugh beating the outfield players and they were all calling me and stuff like that. But um, that wasn't what I was there for. Do you know what I mean? I was there to improve as a goalkeeper and we'd have like, um, half, I think like half a day on a Tuesday and sometimes half a morning on a Thursday with um, Darren Ward, who's now Sheffield United's first team goalkeeper coach. He'd come in and we did a few sessions with um, Gary Walsh as well, who was, I think he did a bit with the first team at the time um so but it was just all bitting and bobbing kind of you'd do like say you'd end up training 
like even a, all day with the outfield players and then the goalkeeper coach say, oh, I'm coming in at two o'clock and we're doing another session while all the other lads are like waving at you down the drive, like going out, oh, like we're going home now kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it kind of, it, it didn't, it didn't meet my expectations in that sense. And obviously, and then my, um, James Seven was the number one for the under 18s there, who was obviously the second year scholar. Um, and he was playing a lot. He was actually, he was on, I think he played for England that's that year as well. So he was doing really well. Um, and and then, like I say, an opportunity came um, for me to kind of go elsewhere where there was a full, full-time goalkeeper coach and, and it was a Premier League club and stuff like that. And that kind of just swayed me. And I spoke to the, the academy managers and obviously uh, I think Nigel Clough was the first team first team manager there as well and he kind of said what what do you want as a like as a player what do you want to do and I said I, I want to improve I I enjoyed being the kind of the boy like the the local lad and stuff like that but I just wanted to improve and I didn't feel that I was getting that kind of attention that I, that I needed and wanted at the time so obviously I then moved on what was it like first going up to Sunderland and like you say you like grew up just up the road from more farm and like the local lad with everyone else uh, and then you go we couldn't have gone much further away could you <laughs> yeah move. it was um it was it was interesting it was it was I think a lot of people probably behind the scenes probably thought I wouldn't I wouldn't last I wouldn't be able to do it because like I say I was when you talk about local I was like in Oakwood so I was five minutes I used to walk to train and stuff like that so like you say you couldn't get much further kind of a two and a half hour journey away um but looking back I think it's hard because people always say oh do you think if you stayed at Derby you'd have like made it into the first team or made it bet like a, a further than you did at Sunderland and whatnot but I always say to people at at Sunderland, I improved more than I would have at Derby, but I gave up my kind of local local boy token as as like you do. So like when I was at Sunderland, I was rivals with Jordan Pickford and he had that local lad. He had the local lad token that I had at Derby. But obviously I always say to people, if I'd have stayed at Derby, I don't think I would have been as good a goalkeeper as I, as I was because I don't think I had the training to be able to get me get me there and that's no disrespect to Derby like I say they were just, they were a championship team at the time and and they just they didn't invest in in a, in a full-time goalkeeper coach with, which is is fair enough not not many academies at the time did obviously the academy systems changed so much now with the 18s and the 23s and the cap one and cap two and obviously they've got the Premier League two and stuff like that so it's all really kind of a lot of investments gone into that side but at the time when I was there it, it hadn't really gone that way so like I say I feel that my game went to the next level when I went to Sunderland. Um, but yeah, I miss, I miss Derby. I miss being around here. But when I look back in my life, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because I had to, it was kind of sink or swim time in terms of as a person, as a character and kind of growing up. So it was, it was a really good experience. You're listening to the Talk Derby to Me podcast sponsored by Connect Red. The Derby Podcast for Derby people. Connect Red are a Midlands-based telecommunications company with branches in Cannock, Derby and Burton-on-Trent in partnership with Vodafone UK. Get in touch with us for any of your tech and communication needs, consumer or business, and we can tailor individual packages and cater for multi-bundle deals too. Visit us at connectred.co.uk. That's C-O-N-N-E-K-T-R-E-D and drop us a message. 
it's a mature decision to make at, at that age, isn't it? 16, 17, to, to realise that, that you're not maybe improving as you could, could be and you might have to move away to, to go and be as good a goalkeeper as you can be. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, like I say, I'd been doing it a long time, even at, at 16, I'd been doing it nine years. And I had, myself, I had a lot of coaches, if anybody would have worked with me, I had really high standards of myself and I was really kind of hard on myself at times. And even to an extent where coaches used to say, like, you need to kind of calm down and relax because what you're doing is good. I know that it's not perfect, but I was a perfectionist. And then, like I say, when I started my scholarship, I, I did improve. I improved my fitness side of, of my game and I improved on little bits of my game. But that kind of handling and shot stopping and a lot of things, what I think are fundamentals to goalkeeper, being a goalkeeper, sorry, um, I, I was dropping little balls that I just wouldn't drop. And I was just little trigger things were kind of making me think I'm this isn't me. Like, do you know what I mean? Like say, I, I'm a perfectionist. I want to catch 10 out of 10. I don't want to catch nine out of 10. I want to catch 10 out of 10. And like I say, I'd be catching seven or eight and I'm thinking that's, that's just not me. So when the, when the opportunity came about, it was, it was one of them things where it, like I say, it was more the full-time training goalkeeper training that, that kind of attached me. And then I thought, have I kind of, I always use the phrase, have, have I become part of the furniture here? Kind of, you know what I mean? With dust building up on me. And I don't think it was quite like that. And, and the people at Derby didn't make me feel like that at all. But I thought I almost become a bit stagnant, a bit, bit stagnated and needed something fresh to like kind of say, push on to that, to that next level. It's You touched on it already, but do you regret making that move, leaving Derby, leaving your hometown club to go away? Um. No, no. I got told at the time um, by a few people, kind of, the grass isn't always greener and stuff like that. Um, and like I say, it was it. If you if I go back, would I have improved enough at Derby to get a pro contract? It would have been close. It would have been really close. And I might even have only got that pro contract because I was local lad and I'd been there for so long. Um, so then you look at. When you went to Sunderland, did you improve? Yes. Did you improve a lot? I think so, yes. Um, and I went on and earned a pro contract at a Premier League club. So in that sense, no. I don't regret I don't regret anything in my career in terms of um when I was professional. There's the odd non-league thing that like, oh, should I have moved there for an extra 50 quid or whatever that you can always question. But in terms of my pro, the moves that I made when I was, like, say, at that age and stuff, I, I felt like looking back, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done anything different. How did it work out at Sunderland then? Obviously, you go into a Premier League club, training full time for Premier League club. How did it work out, and and what kind of what path forged for you there? So yeah, it was it was obviously a. It, I mean, Sunderland's they they again like Derby had the whole the, a massive academy kind of. It's it's a really well thought after. I think they've struggled really with all the whole cat one because at, at one point they were. I mean, we won the under 18s league up there um, in my second year. So I think we're the last Sunderland team to do it as well, Sunderland youth team. So I think they, they've struggled a bit obviously, and they've dropped down the leagues as well. So that's not helped them. Um, but basically. Yeah, I, I just felt I improved. I improved daily. I, f I felt I could see myself improving and how they wanted to play actually suited my game. There was a lot of passing out from the back. They had a style of play in the under-18s that they wanted to play. We played a 4-4-2 diamond with kind of the bottom of the diamond dropping in and getting the ball off the goalkeeper a lot. And your centre-backs would split, your wing-backs would go high and you'd be clipping balls over. And it just, it really suited my game. And I almost perfected the art of playing out from the back. And 
in this in this day and age, it, it, I almost probably came a, a few years too soon because if I had if I go back now to being able to play like that, I think I would have done it a lot better in the game. It's it almost it was right at the start when goalkeepers were being asked to do what they obviously do quite regularly now, which is like your Edisons and the people like that who you watch who are just and Manuel Neuer and stuff like that who were just unbelievable with their feet. Um, that was what I almost perfected at, at Sunderland. And my manager Kevin Ball there, who's a massive legend, he's a real he's a real hard trainer, and he and he's and his kind of is his knowledge of the game and, and how to play that system and his intensity in training was kind of second to none. And like I say, that's where I really feel that my game took off in that sense. And I, like I say, it, 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 all round experience was massive for me as, as a person, as a character, because I, I grew up as a person as well as improving at the game that I love. And I really started to enjoy it. And like I say, the second year we went on and kind of, we dominated really. We won the league. We went on to the, the, the nationals and stuff like that. And it was, it was a big year for me. And like I say, I went on then to get a pro contract, like on the back of that. So pro contract then it's, I always think this, and I don't know if it's a bit of a footballing cliche, like it's harder for a keeper in it because any other position on the pitch, you get your pro and you go, right, he might be good enough for the first team. Let's just give him 20 minutes when you're 3-0 up. Whereas a keeper to get to break in at a Premier League club, it's nigh on impossible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. Um, but it's hard. When you're in it, when when you look back now, it, it's almost is an impossibility. Yeah. Um, when you're in it, you you you. Like I say, you start during my under eighteen season. I played some reserve team football and and met and and that was a really good side of it for me. I actually think the games lost that part with bringing the under twenty threes in. I think you're not seeing as many kind of Wayne Rooney's at sixteen coming through because the game's almost been taken to a level where they give you another few years to try and develop. But then I, mm. I don't think that's very good for each individual player um, mm. because I think it's actually holding back the career. If I 16, 17, you're kind of built enough and you're good enough, you'd, you'd have been flung in back in the day. Do you know what I mean? Like, say, like your Wayne Rooney's and people like that. But now with the under-23s and stuff like that, you, you've almost been held, you get held back and things like that. Um, but when you're in it, I mean, I trained, I trained, like say, played a lot of reserve team games. I think I played about eight during my second year, scholar when I was 17. And with, with a lot of good, good players, I remember playing against Everton, Ross Barclays, they had a young lad called um, Jose Baxter as well, who went on to play for like Sheffield United and stuff. And you play against a lot of good players and then you train with the first team a lot as well. And that brings you up to speed. And a lot of the first team players are really good at Sunderland as well. And I don't, I don't like a lot of the kind of, when people think that footballers are arrogant and people, things like that, they're, they're really not. And they're, they're really down to earth and, you can talk to them and things like that. And it, it was just a great experience all around. And it, you, you learn so much, like I say, not just on the football pitch, but your character as well. It's almost like a character building thing as well. And being away from home. Um, but yeah, it was just one of them things at Sunderland where I was training day in, day out in, during my pro with 
um, the first team goalkeepers and kind of I'd, I'd bypassed. In fact, it's funny because um, I bypassed a goalkeeper called Ben Wilson, who was a year older than me. And Ben Wilson just played for Coventry City against Derby in goal. So he's it just shows how wow. the game changes. So he he he's managed to stay in the game at a, a decent enough level, um, kind of around the League Two, League One. And then he went to Coventry, I think, in League One just as a second choice. And then he's moved up to obviously they got promoted. So he's in the championship and then he got his got his chance and taken it and that's going back to your question about is it impossible for a goalkeeper there's a lot of luck that needs to go into mm. making it do you know what I mean the right opportunities the right timings of things happening if some a goalkeeper picks up a little niggle like when David Marshall picked one up and Kel Roos comes in against Forrest and little things like that you need to work in your favour to be able to make it I think as a goalkeeper because like you say you you don't get the luxury of like say a little 15 minute cameo to just teeth you in you're either getting thrown on because the goalkeeper's got injured or like I say yeah. I don't I don't really know there's it's <laughs> a very 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 difficult position but the same as being at a club and getting that opportunity if you get released from a club then you've got a it's it can be a slippery slope because then you've got to find a club that needs a goalkeeper so that's even doubly hard, isn't it? Because you don't need, you're not going to take as much of a gamble. So then it's even harder again to get to stay in the game. Yeah, 100%. And with with me, I've unfortunately for, for me, and it is unfortunate that a lot of people have said to me, if you were six foot two, you'd no doubt play in the championship. But you're just not. And I'm not. I'm 5'11 and I'm not six foot. And it looks horrendous on a CV. And I mean, I've been, when I got released from Sunderland, um, there was a changeover of manager and like I say, I, under Steve Bruce, when we were doing, they were, they were okay. But he, like I say, he ended up in a position where he got sacked and literally they appointed Martin O'Neill. And the day they appointed Martin O'Neill, that was me done at Sunderland. And that, that's how cutthroat the industry is. And I'm not, that's not me being in denial. There's a lot of people that you hear going, oh, I got this injury and that injury and then my career did this and this happened and like it's not an excuse. It genuinely was. I was training with the first team day in, day out. I was close to being kind of travelling with the squad at times um, because of there was Craig Gordon was injured and then Mignolet yeah. got injured and Kieran Westwood was up there as well. And they, they were all kind of had their little niggles and injuries. So I was always close to being in and around kind of a first team squad. And I was sat there thinking... It's not if I'm going to get a contract, it's how long I'm going to get one for. Is it, am I going to get a two or three year deal? And I was confident, I was really was confident in that because of how training was going. And, and, and like I said, I was with the first team every day. And them kind of clubs, when you're in the Premier League, they don't have anybody training with them. Do you know what I mean? If you're not good enough to train with them, you won't train with them. It's, and they don't, they don't care. It's not, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it wasn't benefiting them just inviting Kingy to come and volley a few balls at the goalkeepers. You know what I mean? So it, it must have been some kind of say like benefit of me being there with them so um but then Martin O'Neill came in and straight away like I said Ben Wilson he was the oldest goalkeeper and straight away the first team goalkeeper coach came in Seamus McDonough under Martin O'Neill and he said oh I'll take the oldest one and Ben Wilson had been from training with the reserves back to the first team and I was back down with the reserves and sometimes the under 18s just like literally the sacking of a manager and that is and that's the game of football but um but yeah I mean like I say I'm I I went on trial after I left Sunderland um at Leighton Orient and again technically the best goalkeeper there not six foot three you're gonna and and that and that that's all I've heard all my career but eventually you, you you get broad shoulders and you just deal with it and I can't just magic 
myself to six foot two, six foot three. So I've either got to get on with it or give it up. So I just get on with it. Do you, do you want me to update your Wikipedia and have one last go? <laughs> I think I think my dad tried it a few times, to be honest. But um, I remember turning up to places going, six foot, get on them, get on them measuring. <laughs> like, well, yeah. now. You're not six foot three. <laughs> yeah, I tried that, that, mate. Tried that. <laughs> Do you, know, do you think that's coming less and less? Like we discussed how our goalkeeping's changing, and it's more about how good you are with your feet, and it's not necessarily you've got to come and come to the penalty spot and clean crosses out thin air. And do you think that's becoming less and less now that you have to be a six foot four giant to be a goalkeeper? I'd like to say yes, but with the manage, there's still a lot of old school managers in there. Do you know what I mean? You've not quite weaned everybody out to think that it's just about footwork and stuff like that. Um, I, my argument was always. It, it shouldn't matter how tall you are because if you, if somebody's six foot four and they can jump two foot off the ground, but somebody's five foot eleven but they can jump two and a half foot off the ground, you're both mm-hmm. at the same kind of point. But my other point was also, how many goalkeepers nowadays do you actually see coming nailing them crosses, catching every ball? There's not many. Never. There really, there really isn't. If you if you did stats on kind of the championship games coming up this weekend or the Premier League games coming up this weekend, the amount of goalkeepers that catch a ball, even punch a ball, get near a ball, a lot more goalkeepers being Shea Given and staying on their line. Do you know what I mean? I mean, Shea Given perfected the art of not coming for crosses. Do you know what I mean? He actually used his height to go, why am I going to go and get involved with a six foot four, big, ugly centre half when I can actually be in a better position in my goal to save the header that he's going to come and head? Do you know what I mean? So... It depends what manager you work with and the style of play that managers want to play with and things like that as well. But, I mean, um, a good example at the minute in the championships, David Rea. I think mm-hmm. he's, he's a good one because he, he isn't the tallest. But, I mean, if you watch him, he's energetic. I, I actually like his style because, like I say, he's he's great with his feet. He's very confident. He's energetic around the place. He, he's he's a lot, got a lot of movement within within the goal and things like that. So um, he's, he's a good example for a current goalkeeper who's kind of, like I say, doesn't matter about his height because he affects the games in different ways. I played in goal and I used to hate coming across. So I think Joe Hart was the one I used to quote because he started doing it a bit when he'd just stand on his arm and then just turn like, rather yeah. than coming in and he'd be set ready rather than coming into a crowd. Uh, what's mad is that you're, you quote about people with your height, but then you've had a great career for some great non-league clubs where oh, it's more physical and you've often got like a six foot five absolute beast coming and challenging with you. And it's probably yeah. more physical and you've still gone on to, to have a good career and have good clubs. Yeah, I mean, you, you learn. I mean, I remember being um, 18 playing for Stockport um, and I think we were live on my, I don't know what, I think, I don't know what the channel was at the time. It was, it was some kind of um, Satanta Sports or something like that yes. back yeah, in the remember, day. Yeah. Um, so we, we were playing against Wrexham on a Wednesday night and um, an in-swinging ball came in and I've come out and tried to catch it. And so the, I think the defend, the, their defender came across me and headed it in. Um, and I got dropped that game after that game. Yeah, we got beat 3-2 and I got dropped. And to be honest, since then, like I say, I go back to the point of how many goalkeepers actually come and catch it. And mm. you, you, you have to, 
take them and as a goalkeeper and not hide away from the fact I actually come out probably more than I did before, but I don't try and catch as much because like I say, with them, you've got to think about percentages. And as a goalkeeper, you're kind of almost doing it from a standing jump if you jump if the ball's being put on top of you. Whereas their running could be eight, ten yards to come and jump and head it. I mean, if you did a standing jump compared to a jump a running jump, mm. do you know what I mean? So mm. you, you're always working against. So I always try and kind of change my game based on can I if I can't catch it, can I punch it? But then a lot of people use this term now is flapped at it, right? But <laughs> With, I actually think the flap can also be a good technique to use if you if you're going over the, the back of your head and you've got a guy coming around the back of you and you just kind of like waft at the ball and tip it past the yeah. head because any little bit on the ball can deviate from them yeah. them winning the ball. Do you know what I mean? So you almost have to just like I say I'm comfortable in my skin in terms of I know I'm five eleven. I know that a lot even non-league teams they come and they have a plan and every set piece you just know when four center two center halves and two midfielders who are six foot odd come and stand around you, you know their plan is to target the goalkeeper from a set piece, <laughs> don't you? So you have to just like I always I always have a little chuckle to myself and think, well, we know what their plan is, don't we? Then just see what we can do out of it. But um yeah, you have to just adapt your game really in them situations. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't have to be stood waiting for a corner to come in and then have like a Pablo Mills have a 12 run, uh, a 12 yard run at me to let yeah. there's only going to be one winner there. I yeah, think the ball, and, I think I'd be in the back of the net with the ball. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you are. Your manager's not happy, but sometimes you are. <laughs> Was it nice to come back? Obviously, you played for, for a few non league clubs, but back to Mickelover, like a derby club, and you had a good, you had a good spell there. Yeah, um, it's been it was it was a good time for me um, at Mickleover. It was um, well, it started off not so good when I first joined. I did my knee, so the first season I was out for about six months when I was there. Um, that was my second knee operation. I did my knee at Sunderland, uh, Stockport, sorry, as well after I'd left Sunderland. And um, but yeah, I had some really good times, and it, it's nice. I think Derby in a way, struggle. You've obviously got Belper that are a decent level and obviously you've got Mickleover and then you've got Alfred and Town. But it's mm. nice to be able to travel 10 minutes down the road because there's not many people in non-league that get that luxury. I mean, now, like I say, I'm Stafford Rangers, I'm between 50 minutes and an hour away. And that's pretty standard for a lot of non-league players mm. unless, you're, unless you're in kind of the Birmingham area or the Manchester area, which is kind of like overloaded with a lot of non-league teams and it's quite accessible. But Derby really struggle like you struggle in Derby you've obviously got like say Belper and um, Loughborough and Mickleover so to, to play for Mickleover it was good um, and I, I really enjoyed my time there I think we we well before this season they were doing really well this season um, they had they had a, we finished um, I think their their highest ever record in that, uh, that well ever because they've never been at that that was they'd never been higher than this level so um, I think we finished 12th or something in, in one season that were there and it was really good but then the last season I was there we stayed up by I think a point on the last day which was the most great mentally draining season ever and like I say I think we scored in the 86th minute to win the last game of the season which it felt like we'd been promoted the celebrations that we had after that but it was a, it was a lucky escape but no they've, they've gone on and done well and obviously they've got John McGraw there as manager and stuff and I've got some really good friends I've got the goalkeeper coach there Jonah um He's he's worked wonders for me because he's really kept my head in the game as such. You do need you need mentors like that at times when you're in non-league because you need people to 
not big you up or give you an ego boost or stuff, but sometimes you can feel really like, what am I doing? Like I've played at good heights, good levels and stuff. And sometimes it does drag you down at times and you do need good people around you. Um, like say, like Jonah and, and, and Maka when I was there was, was brilliant with me and, and he wanted to play the same style kind of play out from the back and, and, and obviously with pubs there and it, they had a really, we had a really solid team there and it was, it was enjoyable times, but sometimes you just need new beginnings. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just need a fresh, fresh start somewhere. And, and, and that was all it was really. I've always thought that you'll know better because you've been on the inside, but they've got the potential to to go and be a, a lot bigger club. Obviously, the second biggest team in Derby that a lot of people forget, and a good setup. Obviously, got Don in that there. I, f- I do think they could really kind of kick on. I mean, they've been very unfortunate this season being top of the league when it's cancelled, and um, but I've, there's potential there, isn't there, to to go and be a big non-league club? Yeah, definitely, and I think it's. Um... Obviously, they're getting their, their 3G put down as well, which mm. um, I think at this level, to compete at the top ends of the of the, of the league, um, Mickelover haven't got a massive fan base, which probably holds them back a little bit because, I mean, you've got teams in this league like FC United. And if, you, if you're near the top, if Mickelover had gone to FC United um, and it was like kind of first v second or first v third and FC United were flying, you'd have had two and a half, three thousand in that ground. Mm. I mean, compared to like... Mickelover get probably an average of 150 with, and then FC United would have probably brought 500 down there. Do you know what I mean? So they're getting eclipsed by a lot of South Shields or another one. They would have had two and a half, three thousand in the league. So there is big teams at the level. Um, I think, like I say, they they would feel unfortunate because probably with the way things were, um, the stadium capacities were limited and stuff like that before lockdown. It was probably playing into their hands, and obviously they probably feel aggrieved. Obviously, they has um, it had been curtailed and null and voided and whatnot. But um, but yeah, I think that there is a, a potential to be there, but it, it might take them a few years. They've got to obviously invest in their three G pitch and wait for the investment to come back out of it in terms of obviously filling it, filling the spaces and stuff like that. But I think they can they can definitely get to the, the next level um, in the next kind of four to five years. And it's Stafford at the minute. How how was Stafford doing before the? Uh... Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really struggled to be honest. Um, we struggled the season before. We were bottom, and we we got we got um, saved by the null and void season the first season first time round. Um, and then we were, we were same again. We'd only played seven or eight games, but the both two years I, I was at Stafford actually, and I, I like to hold kind. Of, when you play for teams like, say, Mickleover were down near the bottom the last season I was there, um, and then Stafford have been the last couple, and I don't want to get dragged down into being like I know I'm better than being at the bottom of the league, but as a goalkeeper, you you can't put the ball in the net at the other end. You can only look after what your own bit. Do you know what I mean? So I could only focus on how me and the defence have done during that season. And at Mickleover, the season, the last season I was there, I think I think that was the eighteen nineteen season. Um, you look at the goals conceded, it was actually relatively kind of mid-table in terms of compared to the other teams. It was the goal scored column. And that's what I've kind of gone on to learn. If you In non-league, it, you can have a sound defence, but you, your, goals, your goals get you places at the end of the day. Um, and obviously, as a goalkeeper, you, you're not, you can't affect that up the other end of the pitch as much as you like to. And it can be very frustrating at times. And that's what I was saying. It was mentally, it's been mentally draining, I'd say, the past two to three years of my career because I have played for teams that are, are down nearer the bottom. And, but 
my own game and everything. I feel I'm not I'm not being kind of dropped or like it's the goalkeeper's fault or anything like that. Um, it just has been kind of the team have lost the knack of scoring and just things like that. And that can be hard for a goalkeeper, obviously, if you're playing in a team where you're getting beat kind of one nil and two one all the time, and you're kind of looking around the change room going, any chance of a bit of help, lads? You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, the last couple of years at Stafford, I mean Stafford's a sleeping giant in non-league. I mean if they if they get somewhere near the top of the league, they'll be kind of twelve to fifteen hundred fans at home and things like that. Oh. So it, it, it's a, it is a sleeping giant in that sense. But we just need to get it right on the pitch. Obviously, I don't know what's going to happen next season. This season's finished. So whether the manager wants to keep me for next season or we've not had them discussions yet. Um, but like I say, we'll uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Do you still have personal aims and targets for your for the playing career? Things you would still want to do, or is it difficult? Um, I would say, obviously, at the minute you you don't know quite where you'll be football wise because of what's going on but do you still set yourself targets um I, I do I try and enjoy it to be honest that's that's probably my main target to try and just still enjoy it I mean I've I've got kind of I, I've taken almost a step back from my football career as in I, I don't almost still see myself making it as a league goalkeeper um, do I see myself being back full time in terms of like a Notts County type team? Probably not. I've probably taken a step back and thought, right, I am a part time goalkeeper. I'm not, and that's not saying if an Alfred and Town came along who trained twice, who trained the same time that I train now, I I would I'd still take the step up to that level or even to the Conference Premier or whatever. But I think as my life set now with work and the business and um, obviously I've got um, two kids, one two months at home and one six and obviously my, my wife-to-be next year and stuff. I think sometimes in life you just have to take take a step back and look at what you've achieved and sometimes go, I'm, I'm happy at this level. I think if I've played at this level for another five years or three years or whatever it will be, I'll be happy with my general career in football. Do you know what I mean? So I think my target, like I say, is to enjoy it, but just hopefully maintain a, a standard that I, that I feel that I have been doing over the past, well, eight, eight nine years in non-league. Any regrets across your whole career? Um, like I say, it was mainly, the regret was mainly joining the odd club here for an extra 50 quid or like joining do you know what I mean I mean I had a I had a stage in my career I mean people don't believe it but confidence is a massive thing in football and I actually had a stage in my career where um I'd left Staley Bridge in the conference north and the manager the manager going the a new manager had come in and said oh, you'll be all right you'll get yourself a club because I know how good you are but he just had his own goalkeeper who he knew coming in mm. and the season after that, I didn't get a club and I wasn't all right. Do you know what I mean? And I'd, I'd kind of dotted and dabbed about and I, I ended up playing a few games for Northwich Vicks in like the, I think it was the league below this, the Evo Stick Division 1. And I'd almost had what people would describe a bit of as Joe Hart moment. You, People underestimate. You You do almost, you don't forget how to be a goalkeeper, but the confidence side of it just completely goes. And as a goalkeeper, if you lose your confidence, it's a massive, huge thing that people, it not, probably not just as a goalkeeper, probably as a footballer. I mean, you, you see like the likes of Gareth Bale at the minute, who's just finding a bit of form now. Yeah. But people going, oh, why isn't Gareth Bale like the old Gareth Bale? And it's like, because he's probably been pummeled into the ground 
grand. Like his head's been absolutely bashed all over the place. And like, that doesn't matter if you're on fifty pound a week or five hundred grand a week, like he is. Do you know what I mean? Confidence in football is the be all and end all. And if you're flying and on a run, then it's happy days. And if you're not and you're down in a rut, to try and turn that round is it, people like I say it's underestimated in football. The word confidence and you can't. Like I've spoke to managers before, and they're saying, "What? What am I doing?" Like they'll say to me, "What? What can I do to the strikers?" Like I can't give them. I can tell them that I believe in them, and I can play them week in week out. But how can I give them confidence? Like you can't. You can't give them confidence. You need something to turn. You need to hit a ball and it hits a bobble and it goes over the keeper or something. But or you need. Do you know what I mean? As a goalkeeper, you just need to have a game where. You, you start off a bit shaky, but then you make a save and then you make another save. And then before you know it, you kind of feel back to your old self. And it literally does turn back on like a switch. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's a bit like adrenaline. If somebody could bottle it up, you'd be a zillionaire. Do you know what I mean? But you can't recreate that feeling of having adrenaline. Like you can't recreate the feeling of having confidence. You just, you just can't do that. So there was a time in my career where I... Um, and this isn't a regret. It's actually looking back was probably a massive thing for me. I, and I'll say, I went and played a few games for Northwich Victoria and a couple of leagues below. And then I, I got to a stage actually where I came away from a game and I thought, I, I can't keep playing like this because I, I'm, I mean, I was horrendous. <laughs> I, I really was horrendous. And I was, I was thinking like, I'm going to do my career and my reputation more damage by keep playing. So I actually had about, three months off at the end of the season. It was before I joined Micklover, actually. Um, I had about three months off at the end of the season and I worked on my fitness stuff and a bit of a bit of things myself and getting my diet right again and I kind of put a bit of weight on and things like that, which it, a lot of non-league players do kind of do. And then at the end of this, before the end of the season, I'd been to a couple of training sessions with Micklover, but it was just before John McGraw had been appointed. So he was actually a player at the time. So when John McGraw got appointed... Uh, that was when he, he kind of invited me to come in for pre-season. And that, that was where my career started again. But I actually think that sometimes that little break that you can get, if you can, if a non-league player is struggling or if any footballer or anybody's struggling, sometimes you do need to just pull yourself back away from it. Work on yourself, work on little things that you can do. Because I struggle to do like keep fit or do fitness sessions or anything like that during a season. I actually prefer to not have anything to do with football and have seven days a week where I can plan my own sessions. Like, oh, I'll do a leg day on Monday or I'll do an upper body session or a core session. And it's a lot easier to plan for me personally yeah. without football being involved in that. So I think, like I say, the regrets are not many because people will say, if I hadn't moved to Sunderland, I wouldn't have moved to Stockport. I wouldn't have met my, my, my partner. I wouldn't have had two kids and I wouldn't be living the life I've now. So I don't regret anything in terms of that, that side of it now. Brilliant. At the end of every episode, we do pass the mic. It was started by Lee Carsley, so we can always carry on getting more people on. So if there's anyone that was that was with you at Derby, you think it'd be good crap for us to speak to and you could hook us up. Oh I I can get you uh I can get you Aaron Coley. He would he would like to have a little little say on stuff. So would he like he, a run out? Would, yeah, we'll give yeah, him a run out. <laughs> yeah, if you if you if you don't mind giving him a run out, I think he'd uh, he'd enjoy it definitely. He's always saying like, oh, I got half a shout out on your other one. So he's always giving me a bit of chip. So he probably would like would like the mic passing to him. To be fair, that's, that's, <laughs> I suppose, I'm I'm quite a good mate with Luke Garton, who was uh, around at the time, oh, yeah. and he, he speaks about Coley and and so yeah, we'll, we'll have a good crack. Yeah, that'd be class. Yeah. You can sort that out. No problem at all, mate. <laughs> mate, cheers for that. Really good. Really enjoyed it. Top man. Have a good one, mate. See you later. Cheers, mate. Take care.